0: So I, for one, don't think that there are enough songs that sample turkey noises. Uh, I will say that, you know, how you like to, you have your review series, One Good Thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I would write uh, my One Good Thing on uh, Thanksgiving, it would be that uh, they had a pretty dope track that samples turkey sounds, and Woody Allen never thought of that.
1: That's true. Thanksgiving does have a lot of things that Woody Allen movies don't have. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, like, turkey turkey noises might fit in with, like, maybe if I listen to more yodeling songs, maybe I maybe there would be more crossover there.
0: But you didn't you didn't hear the the sample of the turkey noises in the in the theme?
1: Oh, yeah, no, for sure. But you said you didn't you don't hear it often. And I, I was just thinking, maybe that's one place to find it.
0: I mean, I feel like we've come a long way when it comes to bird calls and uh, chicken clucks being used in music. Uh, there's a, I think there's like a disco chicken video that I very into and I I feel like we've definitely come a long way with quacks and honks if you're a goose but turkey gobbles gobble gobble we just uh, we've got a ways to go. I would agree. All right, let's get started.
1: <laughs> let's do it.
0: Gobble gobble. This is Necromancer. Necromancer. I'm Shira and I'm a fan of romantic comedies.
1: I'm Brett and I'm a fan of horror movies.
0: What do we do here, Brett?
1: Oh, usually each week we review, uh, well, we, we split up our episodes and we each week we review, uh, uh, one rom-com movie and then the next week we'll review a horror movie based on a similar theme or the exact same theme, I guess you could say. Um, and then we take those movies and we remix the movies. We turn the rom-com into a horror, the horror into a rom-com. But seeing as this is a holiday episode, we've started a little holiday tradition of just doing one giant mega where we review both movies all at the same time and but we, we still do the same thing. We still do the remixes. So so don't worry.
0: For a big holiday mix in the town square. And if you have been a longtime fan of this podcast, then you also know that we used to just do one big old episode for each theme too. So for one night, we're returning to the old format to, give you double the Necromancer action. Uh, and this this time we're doing Thanksgiving. Uh, what do you think of Thanksgiving as a holiday? I mean I'm definitely a lot more jazzed about Halloween as far. Like I have so many more exciting Halloween memories uh, and and Thanksgiving tends to be a little bit lacking when it comes to categorical, uh, rom-coms and horror movies whereas there's there's a little bit more creativity involved when it came to picking a choice whereas halloween and christmas i would argue both have a lot of great horror and rom-com selections
1: yeah thanksgiving is kind of the i don't know the the stepchild the redheaded stepchild of the of the fall winter holiday season. Uh, even new year's new year's has a lot of good rom-coms, I guess. I don't know if there's a lot of good horror movies for new year's, but yeah, I, I don't like Thanksgiving. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty picky eater. I'm a very texture based eater. I was very, I was a lot pickier when I was a kid. So, I mean, like I don't like mashed potatoes,
0: a lot of food that's dangerous to you on Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah. I, I cannot stand mashed potatoes. It feels like, I love them. It feels like baby food. It feels like, like I like to chew my food. I don't like it to be pre chewed. And I don't, I don't like a lot of the thing, the Thanksgiving food items. So I just don't, and I have a tiny tummy. So like as a kid, whenever I would go over to Thanksgiving, it's like, I would have a plate, like, you know, my parents would give me a big plate or my family would pack me a big plate. And then I wouldn't eat a lot of it. And then it would be like, Oh, come you are Not eating your food. Like, because I'm not hungry. I don't know what to say. So,
0: yeah, I I don't know. I I'm not the biggest Thanksgiving pumpkin spice fall type of girl. I I like any excuse for the family to come together. But you know, since we're inevitably going to get into cancel territory when we talk about uh, Hannah and her sisters, I'm going to pose you this question: Should we cancel Thanksgiving? No, you don't think you don't think we should just say no to Thanksgiving, given that its origins are essentially a a fiction of a pilgrim and Native American unity that never really happened.
1: No, it, or, you, you know what, Shira, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop some truth bombs.
0: Oh, Thanksgiving truth bombs! Some some, no. No, some no, no, tea-giving no. Tea-giving tea giving some tea giving tea.
1: But was uh, but was Jesus really born in December? I think there's a lot of good proof that says maybe his birthday was moved to shift with some pagan holidays. I don't know. I think yeah, holidays have have controversial past. Just you know what? But, but
0: I thought that Coca-Cola invented Christmas,
1: right? I, well, yeah, but. I, like, I don't know. Throw up a disclaimer. Say, hey, yeah, uh, th- you know, these people got together and maybe it wasn't as nice as we thought. Uh, enjoy your family. Try to be nice to them. Whatever. Don't follow the Pilgrim's example. Uh, you
0: know? Are you telling me are you telling me that Christmas didn't begin with Santa Claus sharing an ice cold Coca-Cola with a polar bear cub?
1: You you have got a lot to learn. <laughs> let me let me tell you. Who's I've Jesus, some, I've got some Christmas movies to show you.
0: Who is Jesus? I haven't heard this name before.
1: Mm. Yeah, Jesus. You might know him oh. more as Jesus.
0: Yes, I yeah. know a few Jesuses. Um, but yeah, you know, Thanksgiving for me is just the bridge to the other holidays. I yeah. it just um I, I like i like making food i i particularly like baking i like making pumpkin bread around thanksgiving or is is pumpkin bread also a dangerous food to you
1: yeah i don't like that but i hate cooking i hate it i absolutely <laughs> hate it so i don't I hate know cleaning
0: up that's i hate that more than the actual cooking
1: no i'll, I'll clean up if anyone wants to cook i will clean up
0: This is now noted. Now (laughs) I'm going to invite you and Sonia over and she and I are going to make a mess in my kitchen and then you can clean it up.
1: Yeah. I'll just put everything in one giant trash bag and then take it out to the garbage.
0: You know, I know some guys in college who pulled that move. That's, (laughs) uh, that's definitely a college kid mood. Uh, it, it, you know, I, I'm. This is. This can be a segue into the movies. But how old do you think the director, writer, star of Thanksgiving Killing* was when he made that movie?
1: That's a good question. I mean, we could find out the answer to that. But if we're guessing, I guess I, I would guess early twenties.
0: You see, I was actually thinking ten to thirteen.
1: Oh. No, <laughs> at,
0: at least his mental age at this point.
1: Yeah, uh, that's <laughs> like the crank movies. The crank movies were directed by thirteen-year-olds.
0: <laughs> I, I, I feel like I, I would hazard to say that Crank is is more mature than Thanks Killing, um, and then Hannah and her sisters is for old people. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that is, that is true.
0: Although, you know what?
1: Yeah, I think this is my third time watching Hannah and her sisters. And like, every time I watch it, I find a little bit more relatable.
0: (laughs) This is, this is also true. So between the extremely not serious Thanksgiving movie and the extremely serious, but also a romantic comedy Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. movie, which should we get into first?
1: I think there's no point in delaying Thanksgiving.
0: (laughs) Okay. Let's, let's carve, let's carve Turkey as he is referred to. That's That's his That's his character name in the movie. So, I mean, I mentioned it before. There is a dearth of Thanksgiving horror movies, but they're out there and Thanksgiving isn't the only one. Um, What drew you to this one?
1: Uh, this one is probably, I mean, I know the movie because it's made its rounds on the internet as being a movie. No, I had never seen it before. It made its, you know, it's a cult movie. It's about a killer turkey who is, who spouts one-liners and does very vulgar things. So Yeah. I mean, it was either this or I forgot what other movie I I was looking at, but I, I just, you know, Thanksgiving. How could it how could it not be Thanksgiving? And I don't know. I'm glad I watched it.
0: (laughs) You know, what's crazy about this is in, in the order in which we've recorded these episodes, possibly not the order in which we release them. um, Right before we watched this movie, the previous week we watched uh, Jason takes Manhattan for um, this. is probably this is teasing an upcoming episode with a guest. Um, But, uh, Oh, so nice little teaser. Um, But, Watching Thanksgiving after watching Jason Takes Manhattan makes Jason Takes Manhattan look like Ingmar Bergman in comparison. Are you
1: serious? (laughs) I'm so glad that we can disagree on a movie because we
0: hardly ever
1: disagree on movies. Um,
0: I thought we disagree on a lot of things, especially when it comes to our tolerance for whimsy.
1: No, I think for the most part we have a good track record on agreeing on a lot of movies. Uh I I I thought this movie was better than Jason Takes Manhattan. Holy what? cow, this movie has a this movie has a beginning, middle and end. Jason How Takes Manhattan you? is just 90 minutes of Jason killing people, which sounds like it would be awesome. Like 13-year-old me would be awesome.
0: How is Jason that
1: different from Turkey? Because Turkey is has one-liners and his and his kills are inventive and creative and fun. Jason, like so many of Jason's kills, are like the 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 gore effects in in Jason Takes Manhattan is pretty lackluster compared to the ultra low budget gore effects of thanks killing like there's some pretty good effects in this movie and it's silly and it's fun like this movie has a sense of humor and yeah most of the jokes probably don't land i get it but they take
0: they're really sexist and homophobic (laughs) (laughs) they
1: take the uh they take the the shotgun scatter shot effect approach of you know let's just go for a joke a minute Let's throw a bunch of jokes at the wall. Only a, some of them will stick. But you know what? I, I'm for it. And this movie is only 109 minutes. Or no, I'm sorry. It's no, an hour even, and nine. It's,
0: it's only yeah. an hour <laughs> and six minutes. And they managed to pack a lot in. And to killings credit, they do a lot with a little. The yeah. puppet. I think whoever made the puppet for Turkey, it's an awesome puppet. Like, the the details on the puppet are really great. And then, you know, I hadn't seen this movie before now, but I think if you're a horror fan and you've just browsed through horror movies, everyone's seen that cover of Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. I, I mean, you had to have seen that cover years before we actually watched this movie. And I remember thinking, like, whoa, look at that evil turkey. Um so and it does that. And then I feel really strongly when it comes to camp, that there is camp, that's camp for the sake of camp. And then there's the camp that's, you know, a failed seriousness, like uh, The Room, for example. I don't think that this is a mo- movie that's uh, attempting seriousness and failing. It's a cartoon. I think that Turkey is... Basically Chucky meets Bugs Bunny.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. He is he, he is a wacky uh, chaos creator and he, yeah, he's I don't know. I kind of by by the end of the movie Turkey kind of grew on me a little bit.
0: Um, he's just a pun <laughs> machine. That's he he Turkey would be great at the O Henry pun-off. He would he would just he would smash the competition. He's, he's the, the queen's gambit of uh, puns. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and one other thing I was going to say, I, I mentioned this over messenger, but um didn't you recommend the headhunter in a previous episode?
1: Oh yeah. So I know that you mentioned that uh, I, when I was watching this movie, I was thinking, you know, what is the, what, 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 the person who makes this kind of movie, what, what kind of the career, director
0: voiced Turkey, by the way, right?
1: What kind of career does this person have? Like, is this a one and done movie? Is this a one hit wonder kind of cult hit movie, or can you create a, can you direct and create a movie like this and then go on to actually have a serious career? So I looked it up, right? I looked up the director, looked up what else he did, and you know that little um, that little side that little side monologue in Kill Bill Two where L Driver talks about the word gargantuan and how she so rarely gets to use it in a sentence and how she loves it and stuff. Very rarely do I get to use a word like flabbergasted and actually in like the truest sense of the word. I was absolutely flabbergasted that the guy who directed this movie directed The Headhunter. I was absolutely astounded because this movie is, like you said, a 13-year-old boy who is just given a camcorder and some practical effects and just doing the, the, the corniest, stupidest dumbest jokes you could imagine. And then Headhunter is a very mature world building good movie. I mean, it's also very low budget, but it's, it, it, it's two opposite sides of the spectrum of, of low budget. I thought it was incredible that that was the same director.
0: Yeah. And, you know, again, to this director's credit, um, I, I love camp and there were things that made me laugh, made me think of one of my favorite camp directors that I've recommended on this podcast, Jim Hosking. Uh, when I mentioned an evening with Beverly Luff Lynn, where it's, it's similar, where it's like, ugly people and intentionally failed seriousness. And it, it did, I will admit Thanksgiving made me laugh. I didn't laugh at some of the dumb sexist stuff and like the poon joke. Your mom's just stupid. Oh, yeah. Uh, some of the, yeah. Some of it is just like stupid 13 year olds. And like, you could tell like they just sat around in a room and thought of every single Thanksgiving pun punchline they could come up with um but there were other things that i thought like like we'll we'll get into it that that definitely worked for me where i felt like okay i get it i totally get it um and it's interesting to me i'll I'll, we'll get into this when we get into to hannah and her sisters and woody allen there's a thing with that movie where it's like yeah, I get it. In a way, I'm the ideal audience for this because I have this education. I understand these references, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't feel as giddy and fun, as inclusive, as sort of the like impish delight that you get out of *Thanks Killing*. Uh, and and I feel like that's a that's like the emptiness at the core of a lot of prestige artistic movies. They're more isolating. Than they are, you know, movies that bring you together. But let's go ahead and and get into it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the movie starts in the olden times. Olden times being the actual what is it? Card the the yeah like
1: yeah in yeah. Uh, this movie starts on Media Ariolus. <laughs>
0: That's right. No, the very first shot of the movie is a nipple because we are 13 and we've just seen nipples and and they're really exciting. I just have to
1: say, when this movie started off like that, I was extremely worried that this movie was going to be a huge shit fest
0: (laughs) like but like you
1: said this movie i i have plenty of of examples of of like legit funny jokes of like cute silly jokes of really easy par for the course jokes and then just extremely dumb just very very not funny jokes so like this movie runs the gambit so but yeah what the fact that this movie opens on a boob i was like oh my god please don't be one of those movies
0: yeah, no, right on the boob. And it's, there's really no root. But it's a
1: nice boob. You know what? It is a she, nice boob.
0: Okay. She had really nice breasts. I will say that about this fake pilgrim woman. She had great, she had great breasts. Um, but... But, but, yeah, olden times, first, well, first of all, they say the actual year sixteen twenty one, but then they also say olden times right <laughs> so there's but but she just has her tits out for no reason other than to get some fresh air on them. Uh, and then that's when we get the first appearance of uh, Turkey uh, wielding a tomahawk. Uh, he kills the topless woman and says, nice tits, bitch. Uh, which, I, I, again, I don't think he would have talked that way in 1621. The turkey is definitely from the future. Uh, so then we get centuries later. Uh, we've got five college students. We've got the final girl, Kristen. Johnny the jock. Allie the slut. Billy the fat guy, I fat guy bully, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and then Darren the nerd, uh, and then they're heading back to Crawberg, formerly Crawberg, <laughs> for Thanksgiving break. Uh, and, you know, other than that sweet, sweet theme song that pops up here and there, the music in this movie is all over the place, Mm -hmm. but I imagine that's all intentional. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, uh, let's see, Kristen calls home to her dad, who also happens to be the local sheriff. And then we get this weird exchange with uh, the sheriff and his wife where he says, this coffee tastes like shit. And she's like, yeah, because I put shit in it. I want a divorce. It's on the level of. Uh, I went to the doctor, turns out I have breast cancer. You know, it's like that same flat delivery. There's yeah. shit in your coffee, I want a divorce. But I actually loved that scene in particular.
1: I will say, like, the first the first 15 to 20 minutes of this movie, I didn't know if, like, it, it was all over the place in terms of quality jokes. And I didn't know if, if I was actually gonna like like the movie or if i was just gonna tolerate the movie or appreciate the movie or what but i will say as the movie progresses it does kind of like edge out more towards yeah this is actually like a pretty decent fun stupid fun movie
0: you're more generous than I, am. I. I just like I just like the shit in the coffee that that made that made the thirteen year old and me laugh. And um, the
1: guy's mustache is obviously fake, and like you
0: know what I mean. It's it's very it's, also, it's very homebrew. I I like the um, uh, Johnny's tension with his dad. We get the, uh, the, whatever the flashback to them playing catch, but Johnny's the same age as he is now. And then you find out that it's actually just two weeks ago that they had their falling out. Yeah.
1: Two whole (laughs) weeks ago.
0: Yeah. um, But, but yeah, every, everybody's just, just intentionally terrible. Um, And, the car breaks down. They have to spend the night in tents. And then Darren tells the story of a Native American named Feathercloud, who is a shaman. Uh, and he was dishonored by this pilgrim who is one of Billy's ancestors. Uh, and then Feathercloud used necromancy woo, woo, ooh, ooh. Uh, to create turkey. Uh, And then Turkey appears every 505 years to slaughter all the Caucasians he encounters. And I mean, I guess the intentions are good, but the the execution isn't, you know, it leaves a lot to be desired. Maybe it's because I've actually been reading this really cool urban fantasy that's based on Navajo mythology. And then the, the writer is actually native American. Uh, people should check it out. C- Trail of lightning. It's you would like it too. It's, it's a really cool. It's like a, it's like a Navajo anime. It's got a oh, lot right. of, a lot of action and, and stuff in that. And so to see something that's like really done, like right and specific compared to, this very silly idea of, but I mean, okay, fine. So Turkey kills, Turkey kills Caucasians to get revenge on the pilgrims. And then, uh, some real interesting characters show up, uh, this, just this man, Oscar, who identifies himself as an old hag. He's like, ah, I'm just an old hag. And I, I felt, you know, same Oscar, mm-hmm. same Oscar has an adorable dog named flashy and then flashy runs away and flashy pees on Turkey's burial ground. And you know what? That's exactly the time that Turkey decides to get up and say, I'm pissed. Um, pissed. Yeah. That
1: was another joke where I was like, Oh my God, what have (laughs) I gotten into?
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, I know it had, but it had to be this way. Yeah. It it had to be this way.
1: Um, And I will say like, this movie, as as much as you might dislike this movie, which I, I I I get, I totally get. This movie kills the dog off screen.
0: Holy cow! Yeah, you can't say are. the same
1: for the movie that we reviewed, Rogue. <laughs> I still yeah, can't believe Rogue awful. had the cojones to kill the dog on screen. That was. It was. I, just, I, like, I, I'm still upset about that.
0: It's the fact that because Rogue utilized CGI, and they, t- they took the time to actually CGI this, this dog death. And it's like, this is dollars spent by an animator that went, you know, and actually had to program and draw this scene. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible, terrible. But, but, but Flashy, thankfully, we don't get to see Flashy die. But, you know, one might argue that John Wick takes its premise from Thanksgiving because as soon as Flashy gets killed and Oscar learns about it, he decides he's going to take revenge on Turkey. So, you know, it, it precedes John Wick. But we've already I, – I found it interesting – we, he wanted to have his cake and eat it, too. We have the, the lone stranger who wants revenge, and we have the teenagers. We have to have both of them. But they could have easily been two different movies. Right. Um, okay, so Turkey runs off into the forest, and while there, he meets Kristen, uh, and then Kristen tells the others that she ran into this demonic turkey, and Darren's like, "You believed my story, <laughs> her,", her, her, her. Um, but of course, no one believes her, um, and then. I thought that Turkey was just going to start going off on them in the woods because clearly if you don't have any budget, this is a perfect place to stage all of these killings. But nothing happens to them. The only thing that happens is Turkey takes a big dump on Billy and Billy wakes up to Oscar, the hermit guy, saying that he protected him from the demonic turkey. We never see the turkey. Uh, And there is no turkey action the first night. I I thought that that was really weird.
1: I, I too thought that like, okay, in, in any other shitty version of this movie, it would just be a turkey killing people in the woods. Like the five right. teens in the woods. But this movie has more fun than that. Like we get the, you know, we you'll go through it, but we get this the the whole set piece of the dad mask and you know, we we get more fun than just the turkey killing in the woods. So, I appreciate that.
0: Also, his turkey turds were humongous. There's yeah. no way that that came out of an actual turkey. <laughs> I'm calling I'm calling a fact check on those turkey droppings. Um, Also,
1: legit funny joke, like a very uh, Stella joke is uh, when the baby bunny gets thrown on the fire and then (laughs) the guy's like, oh my God, it looks like it's been gnawed by a beak, by a turkey beak. Like, that's a funny joke.
0: I do like that of all the actors in this movie, only Darren seems aware of what kind of movie he's in and is really hamming it up.
1: I think the other people know what kind of movie they're in. I just think that what the director's going for and what they're asked to do is it's kind of hard and it's really thankless. I, like There is no standout actor in this movie where you go like, oh man, this is... You know, like this is the sort of hidden X factor of the movie that I can really be charmed by. Flashy. Every- All right. Well, <laughs> that's a very short lived <laughs> moment, but I like, yeah, I get it. Like, these people have a very steep hill to climb. And so, I think the
0: best actor is probably Turkey.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure.
0: Um, but yeah, so Turkey decides to spare their lives that night so that we can get a Looney Tunes hitchhiking scene the next day when Turkey flags down a vehicle and the driver says to him, What is it? Ass, gas, or grass? Yep. Um, is this something that you're familiar with? I mean, you're from the Northeast, people hitchhike there more, don't they?
1: Uh, probably. I mean, it was more of, you know, me growing up. It was like, don't hitchhike. Are you crazy? But yeah, it was more of a, like, I guess it was more of a thing up there. But yeah, I, I've heard that phrase before.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's just gross. But, but Turkey responds ass. And then uh, shows off his tail feathers to the driver and then out of nowhere pulls a shotgun on the guy yeah. and kills him. You know, that's the other thing is, so Turkey, like I said in the beginning, is like Chucky mashed up with Bugs Bunny because he's got infinite props. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just like Bugs Bunny, he can also do extremely seductive drag. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh like uh, <laughs> I, I, I too thought of very cartoony characters who can just pull a mallet out of their quote unquote back pocket. Um, exactly. Yeah, I, I like that kind of stuff.
0: It, that was honestly this was a turning point for me where I was like, okay, I get it now. Right. Or I'm 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 in it. I, I can meet you halfway on this business. So Turkey can also drive even though his feet can't reach the pedals. <laughs> Um, and by nightfall, we've got, uh, everybody getting to their respective places. Johnny is going home. He doesn't even want to go inside because he can't bear to tell his father that he's a second string quarter or no, he already told his dad that he's a second string quarterback. But anyway, it's, it's, it's murky. They're, they're fighting, but Johnny's having this nice moment with his dad on the back porch and then Turkey kills him uh and we also find out turkey killed Johnny's mom and so Johnny runs off to go find the rest of his friends and he doesn't really sound that that upset about his parents dying he's just like but I'm that's to- <laughs> that's,
1: the, that's the charm of the movie is like mm-hmm. no one's really upset by the parents dying i'm not in this movie to see the actual consequences and fallout of parents dying and children being upset about it. I'm in this movie for a turkey spouting off one-liners. This is for me where the movie kind of, started to really show its charm and go like, all right, all right, all right. We got all the we got all the stupid jokes out of our system. We're still gonna No, go. it
0: definitely has way more stupid jokes in their system. Well, okay,
1: I no 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 so like we're still gonna reach for the low-hanging fruit, but we also we have plenty of of like you said, like we have plenty of Looney Tunes fun to have with this premise. And we promise you, if you if you've made it this far you're gonna have some. You're gonna have a lot of f- fun with this movie, and so yeah, I I dug it.
0: Yeah. So now we get the scene, which definitely feels like it was written by a 13 year old, uh, where Turkey goes to kill Allie the slut who is getting. <laughs> she's she's having sex with this guy turkey kills the guy and then takes the guy's place which is it's like you you remember when people would talk about these like fake made-up sex positions like the houdini or the cleveland steamer the old switcheroo like it's the kind of thing that nobody who's actually had sex does or nobody that i know um but for some reason it's like yeah that that's funny that would happen <laughs> it is
1: i'm not going to lie i it is funny <laughs>
0: like it's when he says you're stuffed. (laughs) Yeah. You know, again, you you liked it. You you laughed when he said you're stuffed.
1: I, I kind of groaned, but it was, it was a charming (laughs) groan. It's again, it's low hanging fruit, but if it's there, the movie's going to go for it. Uh, this scene reminded me of the horror movie version of Jack Frost about the, the sort of Chucky serial killer who gets turned into a snowman and the the snowman melts into water in a tub and a lady gets in the tub and then the snowman reforms around her and she's like stuck in him and he fucks her and then he makes some stupid like oh you're you're really cold in the sack or whatever joke and like yeah this is this is a tradition of like ah. of like shitty stupid like you know again It's, it's, I I don't know. You're you're a lady. I'm not going to tell you that this is harmless sexism, but I, uh, I I wasn't like infatuated by it, but I was like, all right, it's, it's, it's fine.
0: But yeah, this is, this is stuff for 13 year olds who are seeing their first titties. And so they want it in the opening shot (laughs) And they think it's, I don't know. It's just, it's so stupid. Um, but also, I like stupid sometimes. So yeah. I'm conflicted. And, uh, then,
1: uh, and then the gravy-flavored condom joke is...
0: Oh, God. I almost I, I heard, like that. You reminded me because the friends find <laughs> Allie's body and then the gravy-flavored condom wrapper. And also, wouldn't it be cranberry or pumpkin spice? Wouldn't have that been a more appropriate Thanksgiving flavor? No, because
1: gravy, gravy is like lubrication. Gross! I guess. It is Ugh, very gross. God. It is very gross.
0: Disgusting. Um. So then they're like, "We need to go to a library and do some research," but the library's closed. And then Kristen says, "Guys, my dad has books." <laughs>
1: <laughs> so funny. <laughs> uh, This is very Wet Hot American Summer in the sense that like it's it's a funny self-aware joke that, you know, if if this was Wet Hot American Summer, if this was the Stella guys, you probably would. uh, You not probably you most definitely would have a higher elevation of quality jokes. But again, you know, I don't know. I liked it. (laughs)
0: I just I feel like it it could have used like if it, if it was going to be on that level of comedy, then they just needed to keep working the jokes because right, right, it right, seems right. like with with comedy, it's never the first thing that you think of. That's the funniest. It's the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth thing or iteration that you come up with that ends up being the funniest thing. Um, So you just, you have to keep working it. Um, And, and yeah, it was a really funny idea because they get to the house. uh, Well, before they get to the house, uh, Turkey beats them to the house. And when Kristen's dad, the sheriff, the poo coffee drinking (laughs) sheriff (laughs) opens the door, he's dressed like a turkey. And I don't know if the fact that Turkey seeing a Turkey just somehow humbles him. Um, But Turkey is wearing Groucho glasses, which, you know, interesting that both this movie and Hannah and her sisters decided to uh, reference the Marx brothers. Again, I really feel like our podcast is breaking (laughs) boundaries in terms of the movies that we discuss in conversation together. Like, Legally Blonde and Michael Clayton, for example. Uh, And Thanksgiving and Hannah and her sisters. I guarantee you no one else is comparing these movies and no one else should. Um, Mm -hmm. So Turkey has a weird ass conversation with uh, Kristen's dad, and it seems like he's going to leave him alive until Kristen's dad calls him an odd duck uh, and then yeah. Turkey has to kill well, him come on
1: the small talk jokes like it's
0: I, I am
1: very charmed by by stuff like that.
0: Because it sounded like Turkey was basically a teenager who was waiting for Kristen to come home and trying not to be awkward with her dad. It just, no, it sounds like two
1: people who have nothing in common and don't even know each other. Like, yeah, what are you going to do? You're going to talk about the weather. (laughs) Like I I was a vet, I was a overnight valet for a bit at a hotel and yeah, like bringing people's luggage up to their room and and showing them the room. You know, I, I got an appreciation for small talk because it's, it, it serves a purpose in certain scenarios so I, I liked the small talk joke. I thought it was cute. I thought it was fun. I th- you know, it's a kind of easy part for the joke. You know, killer turkey making small talk with someone. But yeah, I liked it.
0: <laughs> um. So he kills Kristen's dad. And then when the gang, when the Scooby gang gets there... um. <laughs> Turkey answers the door with uh, the sheriff's face on his face. And somewhere in between um, the killing of, of Kristen's dad and the wearing of his face, he shrunk the face down to be more uh, turkey sized.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure that there's a legit science behind that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it checks out. But anyways, these teens are completely incapable of distinguishing Turkey from uh, Kristen's dad. So uh, they go in. And again, in a moment where you think, yeah, okay, Turkey's about to kill everyone. He lets them do all that research. Yeah, he uh, takes his time. Yeah, he's he's taking his time. Uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe he's cooking Thanksgiving dinner or something um and then we have this uh reading montage where Kristen's dad's books aren't even on a bookshelf they're in boxes in the garage right (laughs)
1: uh the the montage and only five minutes has passed again like an easy par for the par for the course joke you know
0: yeah, no, it, it works. But so we we find out that Turkey can be killed if they remove his magical talisman. Uh but after that it's all murky because the rest is written in code. But Darren's a nerd, he understands code. Uh and not just
1: any code, math code. Come on.
0: That was Math Code. You know, <laughs> math, the universal so language. Right. The universal language. Um, So he's doing that. uh, And then Billy notices that uh, it's Turkey and not (laughs) not (laughs) Kristen's dad. Uh, They attack Turkey. They manage to get Turkey's talisman, but then Turkey escapes. Billy has no patience for the code cracking. And so he goes off. Uh, and then Darren figures out that they can defeat Turkey if they chant this demonic prayer backwards and burn Turkey at the stake. Uh, and then outside, Turkey basically impales Billy. Uh, and uh, I think does it? Does he like shoot through Billy's chest? Yeah, he basically. He pops out, like, alien style. Looney Tunes. You know, in Looney Tunes, when
1: characters see each other's food... That's (laughs) all! He he transforms himself in the mind of Billy into a cartoon turkey.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right, because Billy was so hungry. Yeah,
1: he was so hungry, because he's the fat guy. And then he eats the entire cartoon turkey whole by it fading into his mouth again like a legit good charming joke and then turkey busts out of him um you know if, if you're going to use your ultra low budget this is how you do it you know what i mean you embrace the low budget you embrace the charm uh yeah and then he and then the gobble gobble motherfucker like yeah of course you have to include it yeah
0: yeah, I mean, gobble, gobble, motherfucker, was was something that was going to have to be said at some <laughs> point. But then we get just a very touching and sincere dying scene for Billy with Darren... Crying over Billy as Billy goes off gently into this good night, uh, and, and now they—they they, they
1: have a very uh, uh, B- Billy and Aaron have a very sort of flirty, fun, cute past—a very mm-hmm. sort of homo-friendly, homo-erotic past.
0: Well, Billy is very homophobic. I mean, both Billy and Turkey say the f-word multiple times. But yeah. as far as I'm concerned, Billy's in love with Darren, especially oh, yeah. with the way that they were trading those ice cream cones. Right.
1: It's it's a very obvious like, oh, I'm I'm a super straight male. I want I'm gonna fuck this hot. Like I'm gonna fuck Ailey, Yeah. And then like yeah, him and Darren clearly. Uh, you know, uh, you know, BLE. You you cued me in onto that term BLE. This was BGE. This was belligerent gay energy. This. Uh, And then, honestly, I'm not proud of this, but I did legit. Based on the way this movie was going, I did legit think because Darren was so obsessed with losing his virginity, and because they had this very homoerotic BGE moment, I legit
0: specific. He said anyone in that car, right?
1: And so I thought legit Billy was gonna say fuck my chest wound like more or less i thought he was no. gonna say I, I thought he was gonna say i don't want you to die a virgin my dying gift to you is my chest wound take well, it
0: why would he do that i mean but because that's that's what, puns aside that's what the that's what that's where
1: the movie that's the depths to which the movie had had sunk at some points
0: well, in a rom-com way, I do find it interesting that Darren takes off his glasses uh, after Billy gets killed to signal his change in, in personality. Right. Now he's he's invested in, in killing Turkey for revenge. Um, so Darren, Kristen, and Johnny, they, tur- they track Turkey to his teepee uh, and... They give Darren basically, they say it's rope, but it's really (laughs) string. And they're like, you tie up turkey. We'll get in through the front. They tie up turkey. They say the prayer. They're preparing to light him on fire. He runs outside. Oscar, the old hag, Mm -hmm. shoots turkey and is like, you're welcome. Um, and they toss Turkey into a dumpster filled with, the uh, toxic radioactive waste. So they think that Turkey has gone. They're hanging out in the house. Johnny and Kristen are... They were like, "You want to be boyfriend and girlfriend," and then they decide (laughs) they decide to consummate it right there in front of Darren. And Darren's like, "Okay, I'm gonna go into the kitchen," Uh, and then Darren uh, gets his tongue torn out and he's pecked by Turkey, who pecks out his heart. His still
1: glowing turkey, yeah,
0: his still beating heart, Uh, and then. Uh, Johnny comes into the kitchen and Turkey stabs him with the electric carver. Uh, and then <laughs> Kristen sees Johnny and they try to run away from Turkey. Um, and Turkey chases them into a barn. Kristen sets Turkey on fire with an aerosol flamethrower, and then she takes a metal bat, which swings him into a conveniently set up bonfire, which instantly lights, and then. I'm not sure how much time has passed, but Kristen is watching the fire while uh, eating one of Turkey's legs, apparently. Uh, and Oscar congratulates her on, on a job well done. But then later a family is having Thanksgiving dinner and the cooked Turkey comes to life. And Turkey says, do I smell a sequel? Bitch?
1: Yep. To be and that,
0: that's the end of the movie. To be continued in space. And I find it interesting that uh, in a bold move, if you look online, yeah. they skip the sequel and they go right to Killing three for the next movie. And the next movie actually looks not half bad. There's more puppets, which I say is, you know, the puppet was probably the best part of Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So the idea that they would skip the sequel And then go on to three, and then three would have more puppets, not just Turkey, but more. I think, I think it's a good expansion uh, on this universe.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah, I was very, I was very charmed by the charming aspects of this movie. And I did find a lot of the movie to be very Uh, (laughs) groan-inducing.
0: But it's Thanksgiving, not tits-giving, Brett. (laughs)
1: That was so bad. (laughs) um yeah so i don't know what else there is to say about it i think we covered it uh <laughs>
0: i don't think there is i really uh, don't should we get into crushes who is yeah. your crush uh
1: you might be bad at me but hear me out i liked turkey uh the thing no that
0: no, I, Turkey's crushable
1: yeah the thing that i really liked about turkey is i did have to look it up like midway into the movie to see that the director Jordan Downey voiced Turkey, and I thought it was a good move because uh, you know, unlike Seth MacFarlane, who you know feels like you know, like he does all the voices, and it's it it feels like you know he took that to transform his career into like you know, I'm the voice guy or whatever. Jordan Downey did it out of a very practical need of. He gets the tone of the movie, and a lot of the line deliveries, even for the dumb, groan-inducing lines, a lot of the line deliveries are really well calibrated. So, I thought Turkey was... I I thought the voice acting in Turkey was good. I thought that not just the puppet was good, but the, the fact that they never really try to go for a wide shot of Turkey and show this awkward angle of the full Turkey... Uh, they do it very sparingly and very quick moments. Only rarely, the fact that Turkey is pretty much only shot in close up is a very, very wise move.
0: It is, and and you know, it's like I said before. I think Jordan Downey, uh, and thank you for saying his name by the way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think I think Jordan Downey. I said it before. I think he was the best actor. Uh, and then he's also the writer and director of this movie, so he knows exactly what kind of tone he's trying to go for and and how to render it. And then yeah, I mean whoever he got to design Turkey did a really great job because in close-ups, Turkey looks really great. Turkey looks gross, uh, and and you know I think the sort of the the practical work on Turkey is really good and uh, yeah I, I think that there there's there's something special about him for sure yeah
1: is that your crush too or
0: no I I respect I respect Jordan friend of the podcast Jordan Danny <laughs> uh, but I think that Oscar might be a guy for me because when he said I'm just a lonely old hag <laughs> I really felt that.
1: Yeah, he also um, he had very good line delivery. He he he. he uh, again, I totally get what this movie's going for in terms of the jock, the good girl, the the slutty girl, the the hillbilly comic relief type guy, and the nerdy guy. Uh, Cabin in the Woods did it. They did it better, but. I get it. You know, again, it's it's thankless roles. It's hard to do. It's hard to accomplish. The actors, I think, all kind of probably realize that th- they're all amateurs. And maybe they're good in better material. But in this kind of material, it's very functional. This whole movie kind of has a very functional uh, uh, vibe about it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and and like you said, you were flabbergasted to learn <laughs> that Jordan Downey has the range to do both camp and a very gritty, taut medieval period piece. Yeah. Which honestly has a very similar plot to an older Ingmar Bergman movie uh that I can't remember the name of and I wouldn't be surprised if there there's an inspirational link um but it's a movie that I think if I recall correctly features somebody in their next movie Max von Sydow as just this medieval guy wandering around trying to get revenge for his daughter who was murdered um but but yeah I I would not be surprised if uh Jordan Downey probably knows a lot about film and knows a lot about different movies and has influences that we've never thought of. Like, I don't think there's anything about this movie, even though this movie can be really stupid sometimes, that suggests the person who made it is stupid. I think the person who made it is very smart. Um, But I, I, I admire a smart person who... Can have fun and do dumb things because that's something that I don't think a creator like Woody Allen. Can do, for example, I don't think that Woody, like, I think that Woody Allen can make fun of himself, but it's always in this kind of solipsistic way that's ultimately very self-congratulatory. I don't think that he can have fun and be stupid while also being smart and calculated. Uh, I think that that is a special talent in itself. Um but yeah, my crush in this movie. Oh yeah, I already said I like I like Oscar. It's all about Oscar. But so on to the rom coms. Did you find this challenging or easy or in the middle?
1: Well, in, you know, holidays are all about tradition. I set up a tradition in our Halloween episode where because we did one megasod. I wanted to do a, a remix that specifically combined the two movies.
0: Oh, you did so, a mega mix of these two movies? Yeah.
1: So I'm going to pass on a specific rom-com remix of this movie. And after we talk about Hannah, uh, I'll go into my mega mix.
0: Ooh. Well, that's <laughs> exciting. I'm thankful for this. Uh, all right. Well, then I will tell you mine. Mine is a very broad sketch. I just I didn't get into too much detail well, at it's all, like this
1: movie is. <laughs> in honor of Thanksgiving,
0: in honor of Thanksgiving, I also created ex- an extremely broad hour-long movie. I I don't think my movie would clock in uh, <laughs> over ninety minutes if it were actually made. But I thought I actually was thinking of Hallmark uh because there's a lot of Hallmark Christmas movies but it doesn't seem like Hallmark has gotten into the Thanksgiving market yet um so that that's kind of what I was imagining uh but so this movie is called Thanks Living
1: perfect <laughs>
0: living in the big city, Kristen has forgotten the meaning of Thanksgiving, but when she's dumped by her boyfriend and fired from her prestigious law firm on the same day, she's forced to move back in with her deadbeat dad, the sheriff of the town of Crawburg. Every year, Crawburg has a huge Thanksgiving festival, but Kristen is not feeling the pumpkin spice spirit. Uh, So Billy and Darren, her two, one of her two friends from high school decide to pull a prank on Kristen to get her into the Thanksgiving mood and get her back with their friend Johnny. Johnny still has feelings for Kristen, even though she hasn't been back to town in years. So he's the hometown sweetheart. Uh, Billy and Darren get a turkey puppet and use it to convince Kristen <laughs> that Turking, in this version I decided his name was Turking because he's the, the king of turkeys. Um, Turking, the spirit of Thanksgiving has come to teach her a lesson about giving thanks. And then at first, Billy and Darren seem to be having a laugh and they think like, haha, isn't this hilarious that she thinks this puppet's real. Uh, and then they make her do silly stuff like enter a pie eating contest against her moral nemesis, Allie, who's uh, John's casual hookup. Uh, and then, Darren starts losing sight of the goal as he helps Kristen with Johnny and he starts to fall in love with her. So I thought, why not? If, if Thanksgiving is going to throw everything at the wall, I'm going to throw everything at the wall too. So I call Cyrano. We're going to throw in a Cyrano plot uh, and then turn that Cyrano plot from a love triangle into a love square because Billy threatens to reveal the truth to Kristen to kill Darren's chances uh, because he's always had feelings for Darren, but then he hid it under all his homophobic jokes. Uh, And then Johnny, on the other hand, doesn't really seem to care about anyone except his dad, who he wants to repair his relationship with. Uh, And then things come to a head during the turkey frying contest of the Thanksgiving festival. Allie pretends to accidentally knock over a pot of boiling oil that could then burn Kristen, and Darren leaps to her rescue. She asks why he put himself at risk, and he says, I need you like the turkey needs the axe, because I would rather die than be without you.
1: Yeah, uh, Lady Eve, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah, that was
1: great. Good reference.
0: I want to spend my life, thanks, living with you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then they kiss, and then the real Turk King appears uh, and makes them promise to always be thankful on Thanksgiving. Aww. And then Dolly Parton's in it for some reason. Yeah, yeah. that's the end.
1: Dolly Parton's killing it lately.
0: Oh my god, Dolly Parton's killing the virus single-handedly. Hell yeah. (sighs) She can heal the nation. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, that is uh that is thanks living all right, I like it.
1: I very much like it. Um, yeah, I think uh might as well just jump into I don't have a segue for it, but might as well just jump into Hannah and her sisters
0: All right, well, I think before we get into the movie, let's talk a little bit about why I chose it because we'd been talking about this before we started recording about whether or not it was worth it to talk about, uh, why Woody Allen is controversial. Why, why, why we would still choose to discuss his movies. Uh, and also really
1: quick. Uh, I asked you that question before I actually rewatched this movie. And, and yes, there is some very cringy, oofy stuff at the beginning of this movie involving uh, Woody Allen's character and some references to some jokes. And ooh boy.
0: <laughs> Woody Allen's character in the movie. And and then also Elliot as a stand-in for Woody Allen, as, as a Woody Allen type of hero. Um, but I think that here's here's the thing. I still want to be able to talk about this movie because I do think that Woody Allen has had a huge impact on romantic comedy and how people write romantic comedy. And to ignore him as an influence would be to ignore ignore a large part of sort of the western imagination when it comes to rom-coms. Now, I say the western imagination because I think that Woody Allen is a very specific type of writer. He's an inte- he's an intellectual American east coast writer and that shows in the the types of stories that he chooses to tell, and then kind of the meta text uh, of the movie itself. Uh, There are non-controversial artists. There There are people I could have chosen, like I could have chosen You've Got Mail, but in a way I want to save that movie for something else where I couldn't say the same thing about Nora Ephron. She isn't tainted by controversy in the way that uh Woody Allen is or another movie I thought of was uh Home for the Holidays, which is uh Jodie Foster, uh who also is another artist that is untainted by controversy. So I think that that for the people who are anti Woody Allen in their favor I can say there's so much art out there that you can choose somebody who is not tainted by controversy and is still doing great art. And we should be raising up and, and putting in the spotlight other artists, not just Woody Allen, but to ignore him as an influence uh, means that we also can't learn from it so i think that for me i i'm not disputing any of the things that have been said about woody allen uh but i do also want to be able to watch his movies and learn from them so i think that's where i draw my line when it comes to his controversy what do you think
1: yeah. I, I'm just going to say ditto. Cause I, <laughs> cause you know, I have this like, you know, I, I, I like a lot of com, uh, I like a lot of comedians and stuff. So sometimes I, I really just stick my foot in my mouth trying to come across as like affable. I'm a very La- La- Larry David character. Like I try to be affable. I try to say the thing that's like, yeah, I'm just joking, but it just comes across as like, eh, that's not funny. So, um, yeah, ditto. Uh, but uh, I do. I I have to admit, I think Woody Allen is a very great filmmaker, and I like a lot of his movies. I I like. I just vibe and click with the style and tone of a lot of his movies. So
0: I don't know. I don't know. For me, it's hit or miss. It's like I was saying earlier in this episode. There is something a little empty at the core of this movie like if you pierce the illusion it will deflate. Uh
1: yeah, but the actual filmmaking of the movie, the the I I think the actual filmmaking is extremely well done. And we can talk about it after, but it's I th- I think he's a great filmmaker. So, but I, I, I I'm not going to disagree with you in terms of so, I don't have the education maybe or insight to say. No, this,
0: this is just is my empty. opinion.
1: Yeah, no, it's um, my
0: opinion, and you you could you could also disagree with me, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with you disagreeing with me, and I you know Woody Allen stands right in and and tell me I'm wrong. Um, so you don't have uh, my question for you then is. With this movie, it's not the same complaint that you have about a lot of rom-coms, which is that they're not cinematic in the way that they tell a story, or they're not under any pressure to be. Do you find Woody Allen movies to be very cinematic?
1: Woody Allen movies are extremely cinematic. Um, but they're they're not cinematic in a funny sense. Again, like it's really hard to do...
0: This is a very serious romantic comedy.
1: Yeah, it's very hard to do funny like i i I don't know i'll have to try to think of some better examples or a concrete way of saying this but it's very hard to do a cinematically funny movie but this movie is funny and cinematic so yeah
0: yeah i think to its its credit it it definitely it definitely has that uh in spades um but yeah no there. It's it's hard for me to put my finger on exactly what it is about this movie and Woody Allen's work that I just want to reject. Maybe it's the intellectualism that I understand, but I also find alienating at the same time, Um Or it could be, it could be, it could be a lot of things. I'll, I'll have to, I'll have to get more into it. But I, for me, my favorite Woody Allen movie is still, um, the purple rose of Cairo. And I think that it's my favorite because it has no Woody Allen stand-in characters in it. Like it feels like one of the least, um, solipsist or narcissistic Woody Allen movies, because it's about Mia Farrow's character. It's always situated in her perspective. Uh, and Not it, always.
1: They they cut to a couple of... Like, Woody Allen is in the movie. They cut to a couple of... In the of,
0: Purple Rose of Cairo?
1: Yeah, they cut to a couple of jokes of, like, the movie producers freaking out over the fact that the movie has right. come alive. Right,
0: right. So,
1: um, but yeah, I would... I, I think Woody Allen has made a lot of absolutely fantastic movies, but without a doubt, Purple Rose of Cairo is his best movie.
0: You think that's his very best? Because oh, nobody yeah. talks about that movie. Everybody no one talks, talks
1: about it. It's
0: Everybody yeah. talks about Annie Hall, for example. I mean, right. we we unfortunately wouldn't do Purple Rose for this podcast because it's not really a comedy. It's kind of a tragedy. Uh, I think it
1: is a comedy, but I don't know.
0: It is so sad. I, it's one of the saddest movies I've ever seen. I, <laughs> but it also has a a very hopeful heart. But
1: yeah, I I like movies that are extremely sad or nihilistic or depressing, but have that tiny glimmer of hope that is enough to make you go like, yes, <laughs> like this is this is worth you know, this is why life is worth living. Um, Well,
0: that's the clever. So like, again, like if we're going to give credit to the artist, uh, the credit that I give is that this is an artist who understands what it's like to be on the knife edge between nihilism and just acceptance mm-hmm. and what it's like to go back from looking into the abyss and then to turn back towards life to choose life after getting to your lowest point point. and you see that in the purple rose of cairo you see that in this movie you see this in in, in other movies that he's done where it's um that turning turning back towards life from absolute nihilism and an abyss is it does take a certain kind of cleverness. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So let's get into it. Tell us the story of Hannah and her sisters. Hannah and her bullshit sisters.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so um about halfway into this movie, I mean, I was making tons of notes because, again, I think this is a really well-made film. And I was like, oh, shit, I, I have, there's tons to learn about this movie. So I wasn't taking notes, really, for the podcast. I was taking notes for myself. I realized halfway into this movie that this movie is going to be unsum- uh, un- insummarizable.
0: <laughs> I actually was thinking that while I was watching it. It made me really happy That I didn't have to summarize it.
1: Yeah. uh, (laughs) Thanksgiving is very summarizable, but this movie is not. So Wikipedia is going to help me out here. And they did the very smart thing, it looks like, of uh, this movie is told in three main story arcs over the course of two years. uh, And they kind of just break it down per story arc. And I think that's the best way to do it. So we just kind of focus on each individual character's
0: Story. And it starts and ends on Thanksgiving. In fact, Thanksgiving is the marker between each act. Thanksgiving begins the movie. Yeah, we get Thanksgiving at the peak of the middle act, and then we end on Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah, your Hall- your uh, Halloween pick f- featured very, very, very little of actual Halloween. But in this one, you, you bumped it up a bit. You you, you went from one minute of holiday <laughs> screen time to about, you know, 15 minutes of holiday screen Practical
0: time. Practical Magic was on the <laughs> Halloween movie Wikipedia page. And so was that fucking Lady in White movie. <laughs> uh,
1: no, I mean, yeah, Practical Magic is a Halloween movie, but it's the actual holiday gets one minute of screen time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, uh, we'll start off with Elliot cause he starts off the movie. Uh, Elliot is infatuated with one of Hannah's sisters, Lee also about 47 minutes into this movie. I realized that they have that it's Hannah. And then her two sisters are Holly and Lee. W- what the fuck? That's like naming your, your twins, Danny and Donnie. Like, wh- you can't name Holly and Lee. That's, Come
0: on. I wonder if Lee is short for something.
1: It has to be. Um, but yeah, so he's infatuated with Lee, who... Uh, I mean, so Wikipedia is going to say they eventually begin an affair. That It takes a while to get to that point, and it's, it's developed.
0: He, he gives her a really good E.E. E. Cummings poem to read. Yeah, so... Um, Somewhere I Have Never Traveled is the name of the poem, by the way. So, Elliot,
1: um, Elliot basically is kind of just discontent with his wife's self sufficiency, and he's kind of grown stale in the marriage. Lee, he's such
0: a piece of shit. His reason Elliot. for cheating is that Hannah is too perfect. Ah,
1: uh, yeah. Elliot is a giant fuckhead in this movie, <laughs> um, but Lee. But at no point do I. Uh, I don't know. So Lee. Uh,
0: He's also very romantic. Like, E.E. Yeah. E. Cummings is incredibly romantic. Yeah, even he's, though he's a, he's a hopeless sh- romantic.
1: He's more in love with the idea of being a hopeless romantic than he is in love with Lee. Uh, the movie sure.
0: does a good job of making that very clear. Very and, clear, yeah. And clear about both of them in a weird way.
1: Right. So he's got his own thing. Lee's thing is that, you know, she's living with Frederick, who's excellently Max von portrayed Sido. by Max von Sydow. I would say so side hot. out uh but yeah he's he's so great. hot Aged i love like fine wine
0: oh god that beautiful <laughs> swedish man
1: um and so yeah she finds that frederick is intolerable he is a he's a cantankerous old man and uh she's his only connection to the world yeah and i kind of i kind of i kind of relate to that with uh especially with the quarantine like uh yeah i don't really like a lot of people i'm kind of a grumpus when it comes to people but you know I, i really like sonia so there you go uh
0: in the words of lee that's too much responsibility
1: yeah i thought that was a great line um And we, oh my God, like when this movie starts on Barbara Hershey, she is just instantly, you can tell, like I instantly developed an extreme love for her. Like I fell in love, not just a crush, but I fell in love with her. Um, that,
0: like if there's, again, if we're talking about things that this movie does cinematically and so well, it's yeah. Making you fall in love with Barbara Hershey, seeing her appeal, seeing her just as someone who is lovable. And then at the same time, giving us Mia Farrow as this light and dark contrast where Mia Farrow's beauty is very um, angelic and uh, beautific. Uh, Yeah, it's very kind of like
1: ethereal. She's—I think she's kind of got like a Tilda Swinton kind of. Yeah,
0: or um, you know, she's like a Botticelli angel. Where I'm very
1: familiar with Botticelli angels.
0: Um, But no, like a like a Renaissance painting where it feels it feels very holy, but again, untouchable. Um, But I think that that is so I mean, this isn't the first time I've seen this movie, but everyone is so unfair to Hannah.
1: Uh, yeah, we'll we'll get into that, but, uh, but yes, yeah, so, Barbara
0: Hershey is extremely appealing. Uh,
1: so Lee has a kind of she obviously, or it becomes very clear that she has a thing for older men, for mm-hmm. for professor types, for people who are in a position of teaching her things and whatnot. So, so it so I do like how the movie kind of tackles that how. I didn't quite understand why when Lee said I have feelings for you to Elliot, it was like, why? But then you kind of like get why both of these characters have their flaws and they would be attracted to each
0: other. He seduced her.
1: Yeah. And so, um, So yeah, so she leaves Frederick, then she begins the affair with Elliot. It's a very uh, passionate affair, but it starts to affect Elliot's marriage with Hannah. Elliot becomes a complete scumbag where he, uh, he doesn't become a complete scumbag. He just, he just emphasizes that he, he, he enforces that he, 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 he fluctuates between you know, thinking I have to end this affair and I have to end my marriage. He, uh, he is absolutely despicable. He's so mean to Hannah, just like everyone else in the movie. Uh, but finally Lee goes off to, she. so she goes off to college, right? Like, I don't know how she old just, she's supposed to be in this movie.
0: Well, she's definitely well off enough to just decide that she wants to start taking some classes at Columbia,
1: yeah, uh, and then so, she starts dating one of her professors there.
0: Yeah, right? her he's literature professor. Old. Yeah, he's
1: not quite as old, but still, it's. I mean, she's three for three in the movie in terms of dating her professors. Um, And then, of course, in the final act, we have a little bit of a, a not happy ending, but we have this sort of unfinished, dangling thread of these people have this big secret in that they share together where she's tired of waiting for him. He's kind of realized that his love for her, it's become a haze. He kind of realizes that you know, like, oh, I fell in love with the idea of her. I don't know if he's really that smart in the movie but uh, that self-aware. But he he realizes that, you know, time has moved on. He likes Hannah uh, and she's dating someone else. So that's kind of the Elliot she's Hannah.
0: married by the, yeah oh
1: right right the right. last
0: Thanksgiving and I think that again if there's something that I think this movie could have done better it would have been justice for Hannah uh you know Hannah never finds out as far as I know Hannah never finds out about the affair and she and Elliot kind of have this fight where uh she asks him Am I really too perfect? Like what is so wrong with me? And and he accuses her of being unreachable and she says, I have enormous needs. Oh,
1: what a like, oh, I felt it. <laughs> and she I said that I,
0: I really did because I think that I I don't know. I really identify with women who attempt to hide their vulnerability and to help other people. And I think that it's easy to become taken advantage of in that position. And people assume that you don't trust them if you withhold something of yourself and and one of the things that makes you fall for Barbara Hershey for Lee is how vulnerable she is she you know, always seems like she's going to get tossed away in the wind or if you don't hold on to her and hold her that she could fly away that she's very fragile
1: both of these sisters respond differently to living in the sort of self imposed shadow of hannah
0: right right and and for lee her whereas holly i think tries to become tries to match hannah in self-sufficiency and capability she wants to show her her talent uh that it's comparable to hannah's because hannah's obviously this really successful actress too uh Lee's answer is the opposite is to to be smaller, to be more fragile. Uh, and, and that is part of her appeal, but none of that means that Hannah has no feelings that Hannah has no needs, that Hannah doesn't want to be held by her husband <laughs> in the dark and told that she's loved. Um, and I just think it's so unfair to her that, Nobody sees that, but I mean, maybe, maybe to their credit, Hannah should be more vulnerable
1: yeah. uh,
0: or allow herself to be more, more vulnerable. Yeah, when but, she
1: starts like fighting back a tiny bit at the end, when she starts showing those emotions, like, yeah, you're like, you go girl. Like, come on. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. And, and this is a good preview of uh, the horror movie that's to come, but uh, I let Hannah go off
1: i i hear it i i i I think it'd
0: be i think it would be a great role for mia farrow oh yeah um but yeah it it ends it resolves without any tears or heartbreak yeah
1: um and so moving on to the woody allen portion of the movie which feels a little self-indulgent i'm not gonna lie Um, so
0: self-indulgent it's so uh, solipsistic
1: uh, okay, so that's you, you, you've you've hit a turkey, right? Bowling turkey. You've hit a turkey. Uh, gobble gobble on the on the word solipsistic. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna lie. What 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 does that mean?
0: So solipsistic. It's it's like a narrative or a story that's very self-involved. It's it's related in a way to narcissism, but it's like. The entire outside world is a reflection of yourself and a reflection that, uh, that confirms you. And so just this, this idea of Woody Allen writing a meta story (laughs) about himself, about this, the panic of the man in the box. Uh, and then on top of that, to within the story itself, have a character <laughs> who is writing the same exact story. And for other characters to tell her, this is an amazing story. It's so incredibly self-centered in the most nesting. It's like solipsism is the nesting doll of narcissism.
1: Gotcha. That's a good way to put it. That that perfectly like I I completely understand the word now way better than what Miriam Webster would tell me. (laughs) Uh, But it's
0: very indulgent. Yes.
1: Yeah. So uh, we get some scenes of him in his television show. He's he's kind of the Lorne Michaels of this sketch comedy
0: show. It felt so proto 30 Rock.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: it, it just, it felt right out of 30 rock. I just wanted to replace him with Tina Fey.
1: I hear you. Um, and so through, oh, some we got flashbacks. a Julia
0: Louise Dreyfus Dreyfus appearance. Yeah. Too.
1: And John Turturro and uh-huh. some other, and uh, we have, uh, Daniel Stern and the Elliot, uh, Lee storyline, which is good. Yes. Um, yeah, crazy. Um, so we revealed through some flashbacks and through, I like the use of, um, of voiceover in this movie um we we get the idea that hannah his him and hannah's marriage fell apart Uh, because he
0: couldn't have children
1: he couldn't have children so they asked a friend to have to donate the sperm and then although i didn't understand how was he just like 100 percent infertile like if you're gonna donate the sperm can't he can't he splash it into? Can't he sploosh it into a cup and then they pull out some of the swimmers? Like well, you know, it, at that point, if you're going for for the the injection, well, why not? I don't, I don't know. I didn't. Under, I don't
0: know that. I don't much think about. IVF was that advanced. But I think gotcha. also that apparently he's not infertile because by the end of the movie, Holly's pregnant.
1: Yeah, very very kind of standard storyline for that it's it's a
0: but Which meta commentary is hannah like the woman from uh uh what is it called uh, the scarlett johansson alien movie um
1: under the skin
0: is she like under the skin in that hannah has no usable partable parts I think one of the things that you do when you see Hannah's vulnerability, it has to do with her ability to have children and to to give birth to children. Both of her partners, uh, whether it's Woody Allen or Michael Caine, neither of them are able to have children with her. But then we find out that Holly is impregnable, I mean, is that, I just wonder, is that supposed to be some kind of meta commentary on Hannah herself as being impregnable, both spiritually and physically?
1: No, I think that's more of a commentary on the men than it is the woman. Mm. Um, yeah. So Woody Allen in classic, very typical fashion, trademark fashion is a hypochondriac. So he goes to the doctor, the doctor asks him a very innocent question about, you know, just is anything up? And Woody Allen mentions he's got some hearing loss in one of his ears, he doesn't know which one. And then through a series of, you know, innocently escalating events, he gets more and more tests done. And, you know, once they start dropping the brain tumor and the cancer possibilities, he has extreme nervous breakdowns and existential crises, crises. Um, you know, it, it's kind of the thing of like, he wants something to be wrong with him, but then when he's told something's wrong with him, he has a freak out. Uh, and so overall in the end, he is, it is revealed that there's nothing wrong with him. He jumps for joy and then he is frozen in this, again, this existential crisis where he begins to experiment with religion. I like the, I like the, the Catholic conversion jokes of like, I yeah. started out on the wrong foot with Judaism. I'm going to go to Catholicism. And he tries the Hare Krishna thing. He's, he's very extremely scared of death. So he likes the idea of reincarnation um and he kind of reveals some of this to holly when he runs into her and it's also shown in a flashback that him and holly after he broke up with hannah him and holly went out on a date and i thought that was kind of a a, a weird cool moment of like i could see hannah going like i i still even though me and me and mickey didn't click i still care for him and I, right. I really care for my sister and I want her to be happy. Like uh, I could see, even though clearly they are not meant for each other. Cause she's like a punk rocker hopped up on Coke into, into punk rock music. Uh, and wants to be like a not like the holly's, other girls of her holly's family so
0: much better than i mean i i think that holly is definitely my my favorite of the three like holly's just you. so yeah, yeah, yeah. she's so full of life and so fun and so cool and you know what you know what fuck Cole Porter I would <laughs> rather be at the punk show with yeah. Holly <laughs> uh
1: yeah and uh and her her little side story with um Fisher and the architect was very sad. And I can definitely relate to the idea of being like that third wheel, that sort of beta character who, who the one know. who
0: gets dropped off first.
1: Yeah. I can very much relate to that. So I, I, I felt for her. I, I really did. Um, but then they kind of, they really it sh- like, like their first date was funny because they, they are two complete polar opposites. But then is there a term for like a second meet cute, like a re meet
0: cute. Their re meet was very cute. And I would not be surprised if whoever made 500 days of summer was thinking of this movie and this scene when they had a JGL and and uh, uh, what is what is her name? Zoe Deschanel, meet in the record store. Because, oh, right. you know, like everything about this movie is so cultured. E.E. E. Cummings, <laughs> box concerto for two violins, Mozart trios, running around the bookstore, meeting in the record store, going to watch Cole Porter, driving around New York to see architecture, uh, just a. It it just sounds like the kind of things that Fraser and Niles would do for fun.
1: Ugh, don't bring up Fraser. Ugh. But yeah, <laughs> Fraser Fraser uh, takes the the device of the of the title interjections. Um,
0: But the thing is with Fraser, Frasier is a show that unites everyone in making fun of this type of person. Whereas I think that a Woody Allen movie is aspirational in saying this is this is where the joy is in this culture. Uh, I think
1: Woody Allen has this. uh, I I think he Marie Antoinette's that that topic you know I think he 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 has it both ways part of it is idolizing it and he does have plenty of characters who are who are just pretentious I mean you could say everyone is pretentious but he's got some very you know characters who who you are supposed to think are are,
0: it's very pedantic but even the stuff that's meant to be admirable and like oh that's so cool is also pedantic. Um, like there's like this, just this East coast snobbery that, that layers over it all. And it's, and it's, you know, it's as fan, as much a fantasy as boomerang or as Nancy Myers or Nora Ephron, you know, all romantic comedies engage in this fantasy version of reality that uh, is ultimately the aesthetic of the people who made that movie, but only Woody Allen gets to do the same exact thing that all other rom-com writers do, and then suddenly it's elevated because Woody Allen is doing it. So I think that in some senses it makes me angry because I do think that like, this is a very mature piece of art, it's very well done, it's clever, uh, but at the same time, I think that Woody Allison or not Woody Allison. <laughs> Woody Allen gets seen through these sort of critic goggles that look at what he does and look at the things he does that are, you know, Not that different from other rom-com writers, but because he's doing it, it suddenly becomes rendered special and auteur or cinematic. Uh, Am I just complaining, or is there something to what I'm saying?
1: No, I, I I do. I think I think ultimately there is a sort of genuine approach. Like when we when we get the New York architecture montage and stuff and we and we listen to some of the the um when lee and elliot listen to some of the classical music and read the poems i do think there is a genuine appreciation for the art but yeah it of course. is it is kind of yeah it's it's easy to, to to also rub your nose at it or stick your nose up at it and say like oh, well, classical music and uh, dissection of architecture. That's just really snobbish. Um,
0: But it's like, so the in-movie commentary is critical of this relationship between Lee, where it's a younger person being educated on the finer parts, the finer points of culture by an older person. But that's exactly what this movie seeks to do with its audience. The movie treats its audience... Like we're Lee and the movie is our teacher. Yeah. Uh, I but sometimes you, you want to be taught. Um, right. I don't know. Well, it, but any, it, anyway, continue.
1: Um, well, so pretty much uh, him and Holly hit it off again. It's really great. I love the, uh, the, the, not, not just the, the energy and the vibe and the chemistry of their characters and how like, so like, Oh, a year, like how many years later, are they able to look at that date with uh, with some you know with some fondness, uh, even though they hated each other? Um, and I like the I like the the again this movie is very cinematic. I like the dolly move as it follows mm-hmm. them through the the record store. It's all one take. It's not very flashy or anything, but at one point it the camera passes by this sign and Woody Allen is not afraid to oh, just the jazz sign. Yeah. Woody Allen not afraid to just let a camera get blocked and have the characters off screen or something. But yeah, I mean, this is a, Holly's a character who liked punk rock. And now years later, she likes jazz. And so it's, you know, it's interesting in that way. Uh, I think, yeah.
0: Speaking of which, I think that jazz fans probably appreciate this movie because a running motif through it is a a really, really nice jazz standard, uh, bewitched, bothered and bewildered. And it has a very pretty melody. Um, but also the song fits with the theme of the movie in that it's about someone who's been heartbroken before learning to love again.
1: Yes. (laughs) Um,
0: uh and then you hear that score all throughout the movie along with other jazz standards and Cole Porter and you know it's all a all a staple for Woody Allen um and and so yeah there some things about it it just it makes me think of the kind of person who would say to me like wow you really know culture, I don't understand why you also like that garbage when you actually know what real culture is.
1: I hear it. (laughs) Um, Like
0: there's an elitism to it that I think is more European than American. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
1: So we get this scene where Woody Allen goes on this mega monologue about hope and meaning in life. He reveals that he attempted suicide, but he's so clumsy and inept in Woody Allen that of course he's so sweaty. Uh, the gun slips and he fails at it. So then he goes for a walk and then he goes into a movie theater and starts watching some Mark's brothers, um, which I didn't know if that was actually a clip from the movie duck soup or if that was just like a Turkey kind of sweeted version of tuck duck soup. I was very, uh, i didn't know uh it's hard it to duck tell soup. uh no i'm just you know making a joke about the idea that groucho Marx disguises you know being effective
0: being very <laughs>
1: superman glasses <Clark>
0: <laughs> no uh, one can recognize you when you wear groucho mark <laughs> glasses right <laughs> So then
1: he gives this monologue, which is essentially condensing the entirety of uh, Sullivan's travels into two minutes. Uh, Right. He
0: went through the apartment and then he went to Sullivan's travels.
1: Yeah. So he ends up, he married to Holly and she reveals that she is pregnant with his child, Um, well, actually we don't know if it's his child. It's very much assumed it is, but, mm -hmm. um,
0: David, the architect.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, so Holly has her own act starting at the beginning. She's revealed to be a former cocaine addict. She's an unsuccessful actress. She really can't settle on any kind of career. She just kind of floats around coasts on her sister's money, Um, She starts a catering career with April and we've already kind of covered the, um, the April Carrie Fisher, David architect kind of subplot. April always seems to be one step ahead of Holly. She gets the date. She's Carrie fucking Fisher. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, Holly kind of abandons the catering business and she tries her hand at writing it is revealed that um, I'd love okay well we'll get it I'll, I'll save it for the end but she she shares the script with Hannah and Hannah absolutely resents it she kind of she finally gets to let off some steam and say like how could you know all these details of course we the audience can piece together that because of Elliot and Lee's affair Elliot is telling lee all this lee is sharing it with holly so uh david uh, elliot really gaslights holly into you know like of course i would never say these things when obviously these intimate details are somehow being shared
0: such a piece of shit uh
1: the joke about holly's second script is great. I thought when Woody Allen reveals that uh, a maniac comes out and stabs the April stand-in. Uh, it just came to me. That yeah, that, that was so funny, um, and it's it's such a funny moment because that's such a like that is the grind sleazy kind of thing that that holly has sort of moved away from because now she's gone from punk rock to jazz she's moved away from indulging in this psycho murder killing how april out of jealousy stand-in thing but you know uh, woody allen should be smart enough to recognize that but he he absolutely loves it um and so, yeah, so Holly kind of ends up uh, with Woody Allen, and that's kind of where the movie ends. There's also some mini arcs, some some great little moments with, oh, like... The
0: parents? The I parents. love them.
1: They're very entertainment-focused, because they're very much in the entertainment business. And when the family is around, they put on a show. But when it's in private, they hate each other. <laughs> And, and Hannah has to really put on the armor and hold this entire family together. The movie is called Hannah and Her Sisters, and Hannah doesn't get a lot of screen time. But Hannah is really... Uh, she, she does have a very large impact and presence in the movie, even though her character isn't in it that much.
0: Well, it's like Royal Tenenbaum, right? Right. In right. the Tenenbaums, you know, everyone revolves around Gene Hackman like he's the son. And, you know, although Hannah's not bombastic by any measure, the entire world rotates around Hannah. Um, And the, the parents, too, it seems like they're always on the verge of breaking up. But then as soon as he sits down at the piano and starts playing, they soften up.
1: Yeah. Uh so you know, good little details like that. I um I I loved the scene. It's a hundred and it's uh one hour and seventeen minutes into the movie where all three sisters essentially for the first time. Oh the
0: reservoir dogs yeah, scene.
1: <laughs> yeah, I thought about that too. Like, oh yeah, Tarantino <laughs> is a very educated film savvy person. Like, yeah, I'm sure he got this. You Which know. of the
0: sisters doesn't tip?
1: <laughs> um and Holly. So, uh, oh yeah, for sure. Uh, and and Holly's got that manic, like clearly she's kind of gone, dipped her nose back into the coke uh, habit, kind of thing. Because she's she's depressed. Oh, she's Mister like, April, yeah. And um, that was a very tense scene and full of emotion and drama. And I thought it was. Very I could have used a couple more minutes of that like when when uh Lee kind of lashes out at Holly because she feels guilty about her affair with Elliot, it's ah, oh, it's a great moment of drama, of human drama.
0: I yeah, that scene felt the most real to me and it it made me think uh I, I was reading about this movie and apparently, um, Woody Allen just had this idea like, oh, a movie called Hannah and Her Sisters sounds like it would be really cool. But a lot of um, Woody Allen's leading ladies have sisters. So there's and then I think him, too, he grew up in a family um, where there were a lot, lot more female relatives. So, I mean, there is something about the relationship between sisters that interests Woody Allen a lot more. Uh, Than a relationship between <laughs> brothers or, right. or any any story about men and their feelings. I could uh, I could totally women. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say women and sisters are much more interesting to him, and they're also they're more interesting to me too. So we shared that bit. I, I see it.
1: Um, this movie does now that you mention it uh, or reveal that tidbit. I could totally see how this is the the um pretentious European Ingmar Bergman version of Robert Rodriguez's machete where machete was born out of the title machete and a fake trailer and then he devised a whole movie around it like I could totally see Woody Allen just jotting down I want to make a movie called Hannah and Her Sisters and then you know the the, the idea that his whole character takes up Half of the movie is like, yeah, the movie is called Hannah and her sisters, and he is in most of it. So,
0: <laughs> well, right. Yeah. It, it, another inspiration was apparently Anna Karenina, and not a lot of people know this unless you've actually read Anna Karenina, but there's another character who's a stand in for the author, uh, Levin. Who takes up half of the book. So the book is called Anna Karenina, but it's not even totally about her. There's whole portions of the book that are just not about her at all, but much like Hannah, she's this, you know, big phantom presence over everyone. So he wanted to tell the story of adultery, but then he also wanted to have this, um, uh, other, parallel story going on at the same time which is also in anna karenina which is this man who's questioning his place in life whether there's an afterlife what is the point of life and then coming to an answer at the end of the story
1: oh yeah on wikipedia actually i'm seeing just now woody Allen then reread the novel anna karenina
0: yeah Right. Uh, Another thing I also read from that page was apparently when he shared the script with Mia Farrow, that it was incredibly hurtful (laughs) the way that he had lifted uh, so much of the story from his observations of her own uh, performing family. Uh, And then, of course, the other influence that they list is Fanny and Alexander. Fanny and Alexander is an incredible movie. Uh, I think that if you are a filmmaker and you're thinking, how do I make a movie from a child's perspective and make that a good movie? Go watch Fanny and Alexander because that movie does it brilliant. And whereas this movie, I think, just wants to borrow the motif of people coming together for the holidays. Um, yeah. it like Much like Quentin Tarantino, I think Woody Allen is, is a classic film junkie. Mm-hmm. And it shows in the kind of things he chooses to portray in the movie itself, um, and sort of the motifs and things that he borrows. But I can imagine this being very hurtful for Mia Farrow oh, yeah. to read and know that she is Hannah.
1: Right. Uh, yeah. I, I actually. I mean, now that I can look at this hindsight is twenty twenty, like. I'm surprised that he uh, it's he's got some cojones to ask her to do it. And she like I don't want to say she's a she's a trooper for doing it like that sounds dismissive or something. But like the fact that she would do it and could do it and actually reach the depths and pull off like, you know what I mean? Like she goes there in this movie, I think. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that she's kind of proven herself to be the best person to handle his material. I Mm. think that's why, at least for me, that era of his filmmaking are his best films. I don't think any of the films he's made today approach the level of this movie or Annie Hall or Purple Rose of Cairo. And I think that... There is something about Mia Farrow that brings this material to earth and makes it real and puts real human emotion into it. That's why I feel like the center is empty and cold and intellectual and clever, Mm -hmm. but what she brings to the surface is really emotional and raw and just the little gestures in Mia Farrow's performance when she is on screen are just really really sophisticated.
1: Yeah. Um just to wrap up my thoughts on it, I I got a, a just some some again some cinematic observations. I'm in love with the camera
0: in uh-huh. movies,
1: and that's probably why I absolutely and an unapologetic fanboy of sam raimi sam raimi knows how to move a fucking camera um but yeah woody allen he's is a not- lot
0: more energetic
1: right yeah woody allen is not as kinetic as him but he's he he will let a he will let a scene sit still he'll 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 be fine sliding a camera swaying a camera swiveling a camera uh he he lets he doesn't just shoot everything in close-ups. You know, it's not the standard two-shot over-the-shoulder close-up, over the shoulder close-up. He'll let characters have like a long extended period off-screen, or he'll let the camera be blocked by something. Or uh I like a lot of his dialogue in how characters will over talk each other. It feels very natural, rehearsed. It feels like a play. Reminded, have you ever seen Rachel getting married? No. No, Jonathan Demme, uh, who...
0: I is, do like uh, Demme.
1: Yeah, uh, Silence of the Lambs, mega horror uh, icon. He did Rachel Getting Married, which I thought was a, a really good movie. And uh, that movie also has a lot of characters over-talking each other in a very good, natural way. But the characters have a lot of, like, I like their accents. I like their characters. I like their inflections. Like the Diane
0: Weist was also great. Yeah,
1: I like Woody Allen's boss partner person who kind of talks him down off the edge a couple times uh so yeah i like I, i like his characters i like how they feel real and human but they also feel exaggerated uh we've stated on the podcast before you know if we're gonna go if we had to choose realism versus not realism uh we would choose the not realism we like to live in that fantasy goofy cartoon world
0: heightened over grounded right is definitely but more my speed
1: this movie has a very grounded approach i think
0: like it feels it feels grounded
1: but exaggerated i think it, it has a it has a lot of realism in the in the ways of like the the self-destructive nature and the the tiny little like touches and details of how these characters are self-destructive um uh, yeah i thought i, I again i absolutely love this movie i think it's a great movie um but yeah uh, i i think you also are dead on in your observations about the all everything you've said <laughs>
0: But yeah, I it, this movie is like a beautiful marble statue. You look at it, you admire it, you you see the brilliance, you see the genius. But if you touch it, it's cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I mean, that's really how I I feel about it. Like there there is something that's not there, which I think that the purple rose of Cairo fixes that issue. Where yeah I yeah, think yeah yeah. The center of, of the perfect, of the purple rose of Cairo is, is really, you know, sadness and longing. And, and there's, there's real raw emotion there that, that resonates with me quite deeply in a way that Hannah and her sisters just doesn't. Um, but we got to land this plane, and I want to get to your combo uh, pitch. So I want to know
1: yours first. Who are you going to kill in this movie?
0: Who would I kill in this movie? Oh, God. Well, I mean, part of me wants to kill Hannah just to put her out of her misery. I was going to say I
1: did it once before, but Hannah. Hannah is who I would kill. It's a mercy killing.
0: (laughs) I want to mercy kill Hannah because she's already being murdered every day. Day by oh disrespect.
1: Yeah, I feel so bad for her. I
0: mean, I think that having Satan's baby is better than yeah. being Hannah.
1: I hear you Um Yeah. Did, did um, you US have anyone? A
0: episode do? would be a good thing for us to do. That would be fun.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: um but yeah, I, I mercy kill Hannah. What about you?
1: Yeah, I I I totally. I thought you might. Kill someone else, and I would maybe to-
0: Elliot, just because he's such a piece of shit. But I if, also yeah, really choice, yeah. I I get it. No, I went I went down a rabbit hole recently and was reading some E.E. E. Cummings poems, and and I you know I get it, and I I also like that thought piece. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know I, I get it, uh, <laughs> uh, and then also yeah, I would Max von Sydow in a heartbeat. No, uh, yeah, no, I gotta, gotta kill Hannah, but maybe instead of killing Hannah, we fake her death. Whoa. So this is a segue into my remake, which I decided to call Hannah Kills Her Sisters. (laughs) Yep. Uh, and, and like my Thanks uh, Living uh, remix, this one is very broad. So we, we've got the basic sketch of what we want to do. Uh, but Hannah, she's a successful actress, wife and mother. She seems to have it all except for one little thing. Her husbands keep fucking her sisters and she has had enough. Uh, Hannah finally cracks when she learns that her ex-husband, who doctors labeled infertile, is having a miracle baby, with her little sister, Holly, Hannah decides to get revenge on all of them, Elliot, Lee, Mickey, and Holly. She starts by faking her own death, and this puts everyone into chaos when they realize just how much they relied on Hannah for everything. Hosting family gatherings, solving disputes between their parents, keeping Elliot and Mickey from being too clingy. Uh, because, you know, ultimately, Mickey kind of still carries a torch for Hannah, throughout the entire movie. And I mean, he's never spiteful about it, but you get the sense that he would rather that they had stayed together. Um, I don't
1: know. I kind of got more of a Jerry and Elaine vibe where it's like, yeah, they didn't work romantically. They didn't work in an actual relationship, but they still were two compatible people in a way.
0: Maybe. Um, but, but yeah, like it, without Hannah around, let's just imagine that Elliot and Mickey are just fully focused on Holly and Lee in a way that they feel suffocated by. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also Holly now no longer has the person who's giving her money. So everyone's just having a terrible time. They're helpless as a baby without Hannah. Uh, and they're just mourning her terribly. Five years pass. <laughs> <laughs> I just assume, you know, like a, like a great Korean revenge movie, right. Hannah is going to serve her revenge cold. Um, one day Elliot is browsing a bookstore when he thinks he sees a woman that looks like Hannah and he follows her around the bookstore. She appears to leave books as messages for him. And he's like, Ooh, this is so flirty and fun. Yeah. Cause we know Elliot is uh, in love with romance uh, and then they go down parallel aisles, you know, as people do in movies that have bookstores. Uh, and then Hannah removes books from the aisle uh, that comes up to her chest and she flashes her breasts at Elliot. I took a page out of Thanksgiving, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Thanksgiving's book and decided that my uh, Hannah Kills Her Sisters remake would also have boobs in it. Nice um, <laughs> <bitch>. <laughs> um, And so, of course, Elliot reaches out to grab those boobs and then she stabs him. Uh, and then she comes around to the other side and I stabs could, oh, him. Oh man, some if more. I could just add
1: one little thing. Instead yeah. of stabbing him with a knife, if she took like if she started ripping pages out of a book and he died by a thousand paper cuts, very jalo. like
0: what if she stuffed the pages in his throat? Like she she took that E. E. Cummings book and was like Here's what I think of the poem on page 112.
1: What if she John Wick threed him and just absolutely murdered him with a book in a library?
0: Actually, I think that would be incredible. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, she just she just completely destroys him. And then that night Lee is at a poetry reading with her boyfriend. Lee goes to the bathroom and as she's washing her hands, she notices the expensive high heels of a stranger tapping in the stalls. She turns around, the stall swings open. It's Hannah. Hannah shoots Lee in the heart several times. Uh, Or I was thinking maybe it would be interesting if Hannah hung Lee and, and uh, maybe she says something to Lee, like, you always thought you were beneath me. Now look at you or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, we can have some some puns. Um, so now all that's left is Mickey and Holly. Hannah decides that she's going to kill them at the same time. She lures them both to an empty movie theater. And when they get there, she begins playing one of her movies Uh, And then she stands behind the theater screen. So we're going full giallo. uh, And uh, yeah, exactly. And then uh, she aims at uh, Mickey uh, with a crossbow and then fires at him through the the screen. Yeah. In the Uh, movie,
1: the character would be aiming at the camera POV. And then when the character fires in the movie, Hannah actually fires And the arrow shoots through. Exactly. Yeah, I can totally see it.
0: Exactly. And Holly starts screaming uh, when she sees Mickey's been impaled by the crossbow arrow. And then Hannah tears through the hole that's been made through the screen uh, and walks through revealing herself to Holly. Uh, Hannah screams, you took everything from me. Uh, And then Holly says, I only took what you would give me. Uh, and then so Hannah's chasing Holly through the empty theater, Holly makes it up to the roof. Uh, and then there's a struggle, but maybe Holly manages to kick the weapon away. Hannah breaks down and cries. Holly hugs her, but then too late, she notices that they're both by the ledge of the building. And then Hannah continues to embrace her as she throws them off the building. And then I thought maybe they land on David, the architect's car right as he's coming out of a building on a date with April.
1: All right. All right. And then, yeah, that's it. That's the end of the movie. Sure. Um, Yeah, I like it. I definitely, I, I had the same idea as you in terms of this is clearly a movie where Hannah needs to get her revenge.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely.
1: But I, I I, took it a different way. I totally abandoned that storyline because, once again, I, I've done this before where I was like, you know, I'm pretty sure this is the obvious thing, but Shira's going to tackle it better. So I'm going to go in typical Brett fashion. I'm just going to go and take a huge left turn. Um, my movie is going to be called. I think this is what I, I thought of a very good title right before I fell asleep, and so I don't know if <laughs> if this is if this is what it's called. But I think it's called "It's All Your Fault." And, awesome. And this movie, I worked on a movie called "A Chance in Hell," which was a Nazi zombie movie before Overlord came out, and it's by a guy called uh, a guy named Tony Wash. And Tony Walsh worked on a movie. Uh, he, he wrote and directed a movie called It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To. which is a, cute. It's a choose-your-own-adventure DVD movie. And so I thought, you know, little holiday treat, let's go on a choose-your-own-adventure. <laughs> so I've got uh, the totem, the totem for turkey. And then instead of going with Hannah or Holly or Lee – I'm gonna go with the fourth and forgotten sister. Oh, who is simply called daughter. <laughs> 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 and so we have turkey and daughter. Uh, you know, is, maybe
0: is she the turkey's daughter?
1: No, no, no. She's she's the mom. She's Hannah's mom's daughter. So she's sister. Um, Maybe the parents refer to his daughter and the sisters refer to his sister. Uh, but, you know, we'll we'll get into an idea where maybe she thinks she's pregnant and she takes a pee test and somehow the pee test gets thrown in the garbage with some leftovers. And this makes a turkey come back alive.
0: He's pissed.
1: Right. He's pissed because that's how turkeys come back from the grave. So daughter is a teacher and because this this movie has a lot of teacher stuff in it and so she has to grade papers for her students and you as the as the viewer of the movie you have to choose maybe she's got like 12 students or something whatever six students 12 students whatever and you have to choose like three or four of the essays to read and by essays to read i mean we get these cinematic quote unquote flashback origin stories kind of similar to my sassy girl where like each character will have a different genre so we've got kung fu we've got sci-fi like we've got western and all of the characters all of the classmates are related somehow some of them might know each other from childhood some of them might share the same study group you know so depending on which essays you choose and which character's point of view you choose, you get, you get, um, very, very point of view references on these characters. So maybe one of the characters will think, you know, maybe one of the characters is like an incel character and he thinks this girl is a total whore, but maybe one of the characters is a is like a slutty man, slut jock type. And he thinks the girl's a prude because she won't sleep with him. So you get these two different characters, points of view on the same characters. And depending on how, because you only get to read so many essays, you don't get the entire picture, but Turkey, Turkey ends up developing a a thing for daughter. Maybe daughter reveals, right? Turkey kills white people. Maybe daughter Ooh. reveals that she's like one eighth Native American, so Turkey's like, "Oh, I guess How I'll let you
0: know Still win. white?
1: No, no, no. It's like, you know, uh, yeah, we, we we get it, but she's one eighth of Native American or something, so he's like, "All right, I'll give you a pass." But she's got a grade on a curve, but instead of just throwing out test scores or however grades are curved. Turkey's got to kill some of the students. So you get to choose which students he kills and you make your decisions based on which essays you've read and your your thoughts on these characters based on these very um, – uh, I don't know the word for it. It's, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. But uh, based on these very subjective points of view,
0: that's so that, yeah.
1: So that's kind of the, the the first half of the movie is a very um, college kids turkey killing the college kids kind of of movie. Uh, that's the that's the Thanksgiving portion of the movie. Then we segue into somehow Hannah or somehow daughter gets an invitation she she gets clued into where the the family thanksgiving is going to be held because the family never invites her to thanksgiving she's the forgotten sister oh right so some and they never tell her and it's always hidden so even if she asks or tries to find out where's the family thanksgiving going to be this year uh it's a hidden secret oh i was also thinking maybe jane lynch jane lynch could play a good sister and compliment I
0: love Jane Lynch. Uh, Doug and I are big fans of The Weakest Link.
1: Oh, I haven't watched her version of it yet. Um,
0: Taken over from the old boss lady host and now (laughs) she's the one who insults them
1: um so we get a travel montage daughter in turkey fly to new york they travel through new york maybe you can like maybe turkey opens up a brochure and you can pick a like you only get so many of the sites that they see so you know you can choose empire state building or um statue of liberty you never have time to do it all right uh but then we go into the hannah um the hannah family dinner and The daughter shows up, this causes controversy, all the characters are talking, and Turkey starts to walk around and mingle, make small talk and whatever with these characters. Uh And again, you get a sort of incomplete view of maybe you can choose which rooms you want to hang out in, and depending on which rooms you hang out in, again, you get tidbits of like wait are these two characters sleeping together and
0: you know it's like turkey goes into the dining room and finds out about elliot and lee's affair
1: right and then because it's a five course meal you get to choose five executions and depending on your executions it has ripple effects and characters start to run away maybe it's you know it's a big mansion and so characters start to run away and then you can only kill so many. So you get to choose who you want to kill, but it's not Turkey doing the killing this time. It's daughter who's doing the killing. So Turkey observes everyone, but then he follows, he he follows daughter as she starts to kill people. And then as for dessert, somehow maybe like the cops are following this murder spree or something. We get a very Jallo cop who shows up. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you get a 50-50 choice of turkey and daughter are going to have to face off, and you get a 50-50 choice of do you want to kill turkey? Do, do you want turkey to kill daughter, or do you want daughter to kill turkey? And here's the
0: thing. Wait, no, wait. There's no, there's no ending where turkey and daughter live happily ever after?
1: Nope, absolutely not. How and- dare you? And here's the thing, viewers, I I know this is unprecedented, but I want our viewers, listeners, I want listeners to stop listening to the podcast. I want you to fast forward about five minutes or so. You cannot listen to this. So I'm going to take a second, give you guys a chance to pause, give you guys a chance to fast forward. This is for Shearer's Ears only. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter who you pick. The, The DVD will pick coin flip 50 50. So if you pick Turkey to kill daughter, maybe he will, maybe he won't. The, the DVD is going to fuck you over maybe. What? So it's like an, un- so maybe you get a satisfying ending. Maybe you don't get a satisfying ending. Uh, it's just like the real holidays with family. Right. And then here's the other thing is you would think that this has a ton of rewatchability value, right? Cause you get to choose different paths each time. You know, I'm a big fan of my boy, tommy cruz and since this is thanksgiving since this is all about gluttony and indulgence and feasting at the end of the movie tom cruise comes up and he says this movie is going to self-destruct in five seconds and the dvd erases itself so you only get one viewing of the movie it's one and done this movie, you have to treasure it. Just like life, you get one shot at it. You have to treasure it. Everyone gets a unique viewing. It's, it's you know, you get to go online. You get to start a conversation.
0: What My about viewing... streaming? What? Do they have one streaming token if they watch it on Hulu or Netflix? Physical media
1: only. Uh, we're going oh. over. Maybe it's VHS. VHS only. Um And so if I watch the movie and you watch the movie, we get to talk about it and we get to organically develop and talk like, wait, these two characters were having an affair. I didn't get that at all. I would have totally killed Elliot if I knew how much of a scumbag he was, but maybe depending on your paths, you don't even know who Elliot is other than Hannah's husband. So, and it's all your fault because you get to choose the different paths. And just like in Hannah, and her sisters, these characters are very self-destructive. These anything that's bad that's happening to these characters, it's their fault. So um, so that's where I'm going with it. I thought, yeah, I thought you would you would make two real movies and I would make an absolutely impossible fantasy film.
0: <laughs> I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit though, because you made something that only you would think of. Right. I would have no, never. Proud of no, yeah, I, I, I would have never thought of anything like this, and I, I really like it. I think it's really creative. I think that also there's a place for physical media nowadays because it's so rare. So yeah. I think that people would would meet it with a lot of nostalgia, uh, and and I could see it becoming something where uh, DVDs become really scarce and people are trying to buy multiple copies, uh, and then they're getting resold on eBay for a lot of money. Yeah, like there's a whole marketing around this type of project that I think would be really fun.
1: Yeah, it could have its entire own subreddit.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dedicated to all the different uh, routes that you can take or routes. Is it routes or routes, or is that a regional thing?
1: I, I would say probably depending on my momentum in the sentence. I would. Uh, I think they're interchangeable.
0: I think it's. It has to be roots in some cases because you would never say Route sixty six.
1: Yeah, that was my. That was my first thought too. Um,
0: well, I I like that. I think that we have uh, made. Thanksgiving, more interesting than it usually is. Less controversial while talking about controversial people. Uh, we didn't fight about politics. Uh, <laughs> I think I think that this is uh, the most tension-free Thanksgiving I've had. Yeah. Uh,
1: one of the things that people probably find uh, very tense and stressful about Thanksgiving is family coming over and that's because you i don't know about you but my house you know it's not too messy but you know it's got a little bit of clutter here and there you got
0: to you got to do a little bit of housekeeping shira ooh nice segue ooh, we would be it. <laughs> amazing so we would be extremely thankful if you reached out to us at one of our many ways to find us, which would be on Facebook and Twitter at Necromancer Pod, on Instagram at the Necromancer Podcast, and at Gmail at Necromancer or Necromancer Podcast at gmail.com. Write, subscribe, review, questions, answers, everything. Oh so thankful. You know what else we're also thankful for? the other media that we watch and enjoy and absorb it's time for love bites. What would you like to recommend this week, Brett?
1: All right, so uh, um, Thanks killing deals with a lot of gory a disembowelment type killing and Hannah and her sisters tackles a little bit of the suicide thing. And so I finally sat down and I don't know what the inspiration was, but I finally sat down and watched a little movie called Harry Carey. Um, and for people who don't know, Harry Carey is also known is as it
0: Harakiri.
1: Yeah. I, I've, I've heard it pronounced Harakiri. I've also pr- heard it pronounced Harry Carey. Um, it's. I, I think I, I did a little bit of reading on it because I, I thought the movie was a masterpiece, but apparently Harry Carey is kind of the more slangy term for seppuku. For people who don't know, seppuku is the ritualistic suicide that samurai would perform if they uh, had any kind of dishonor. That's how they could redeem themselves. Or apparently, if they were a Ronin and they wanted to go out, like in a in a time of peace, they could, you know, take the instead of dying in battle because there's no battle going on. They could commit seppuku. And so this movie is all about suicide it is uh it is a very critical depressing very critical i mean most war movies are actually anti-war movies right this movie is like an anti-samurai film Uh, wow seven samurai is easily probably like inarguably the, the most quintessential samurai film. And up until now I would say it was my favorite samurai film, but much like when you recommended Laura and I took you up on that recommendation, I would have said like, yeah, double indemnity. I, you know, that one is more arguably the, the quintessential uh, film noir, but I would, I didn't really have a favorite. So I would say, yeah, sure. Double indemnity, my favorite. But once I saw Laura, I was like immediately, holy shit, this is my favorite film noir.
0: Uh it is definitely my favorite. I yeah. love it. It's <laughs> flawless. Speaking of controversial, Otto Preminger also famous for terrorizing his cast and being oh. an all-around not nice guy. But we still have Laura.
1: Yeah. And so Harry Carey, same thing, absolute masterpiece. I was completely enthralled. About 25 minutes into this movie, absolutely nothing has happened plot-wise. Usually I'm texting Sonya at this point going, ugh, like uh, practical magic maybe. 25 minutes into the movie, I'm like, nothing has happened. Um I I don't mind you know plotless movies like this Uh, I was absolutely enthralled though and there is a twist that happens 25 minutes into the movie that I don't it's not like a twist for twist's sake it's not like something that you can or should try to guess but it is one of the most intense scenes I've seen in a movie it is unbelievable and then the movie is after that twist it becomes an, a slow burn that builds up to a very great climax it is uh, it's by a guy who did um it's his last name is kobayashi he did a movie called samurai rebellion that was like when oh. i was when i was a teenager i was like oh this movie's boring it's just people talking where's all the sword fighting but then when afs showed it one time i was like holy shit this movie is a masterpiece um same guy i could totally see Uh, Why? And I again like the fact that this movie is taking a very critical, serious look at what it means to be honorable and at what it like the the hypocrisy. What cost? (laughs) The hypocrisy of 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 expecting people to commit suicide to redeem themselves in some kind of way I thought was amazing. And then it just so happens somehow that I watched this movie for our Thanksgiving episode. And so I, you know, I thought it was appropriate because holidays are rough for people, especially in 2020. Give a little shout out to that suicide hotline. Just know that we here at Necromancer podcast, we love you, and we don't want to perform necromancy on you. We want to perform necromancy on movies. So, hang in there; it gets better. Uh, seppuku is not something that should be glamorized. It is something that should be looked at critically and and criticized. And I, I just, I, I, the same way that you recommended Laura, I highly want to recommend Harry Carey to you. I think this movie is an absolute masterpiece. The moment it ended, I was pretty much going to Shira. I mean, it's Black Friday. So Criterion's got the 50% off thing Ooh. going on. I don't buy physical media a lot anymore. I don't even buy movies
0: really that much bought anymore. bought it immediately. Yep.
1: Going to buy this thing right away for sure. This is, a, this is an insta-buy. Yes.
0: Well, that is an endorsement. Uh yeah no I have to I have to check that out. My mom loves samurai movies. She has all the Zatoichi movies. Oh, every yeah. single every single one.
1: Zatoichi, uh, the bond of samurai films.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. So uh I I as as Doug often says to me about many things, I've got a history with this.
1: Yeah, I, uh, yeah, you would definitely
0: appreciate. So, so Harakiri it. Yeah. is is something that I I would I I am an audience for this movie. Uh, that that sounds really great.
1: Yeah, how about you? What's your love? What's your love chomp? Your love feast?
0: My love feast. Well, you know. I, again, I like to, to tie things into the theme. Uh, and I was thinking about things that I'm thankful for. And like I said earlier, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole reading E.E. E. Cummings poems. And I would like to recommend to our audience E.E. E. Cummings. He is a beautiful poet. I think that his work is more accessible than, say, Shakespeare or something like that, uh, or the romantic poets of the previous era, uh, you can read E.E. Cummings and feel E.E. Cummings and, and understand it. Some of my favorite poems, uh, Your Little Voice is one, uh, there's also another poem called I Have Found What You Are Like, uh, and then of course he has a bunch of great, uh, just love poems, uh, one that's really good is my love is building a building. Uh, and so they're all they're all very romantic. So so when when uh, Lee is seduced by this poem, I think that if you read more EE e. Cummings, you can see exactly what is so charming about it. Uh, so yeah, go read, go read some poetry. Relax with some poetry this Thanksgiving. That's my recommendation.
1: All right. There is a low-hanging fruit there. Something to do with uh, turkey and the fact that uh, E. E. Cummings is appealing and the fact that his last name is Cummings. I think that there's something there, but I I am proud to say I'm not going to reach for it.
0: I think that we should put this out. Someone find Jordan Downey, share this episode with him, and challenge him to come with come up with the perfect punny yeah, sign with, off. With the with perfect
1: those. Turkey Kruger pun one. Yes,
0: exactly. No, I I need Jordan Downey on the case right now. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for tuning in.